0: So every year as we come up upon Advent, I spend a lot of time working on uh, what's the right thing to do for this Advent season. So we spent a lot of time in prayer, spent a lot of time in Scripture, reading through the Christmas story, going through the Old Testament and the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. Hey, Hey, I spend time reading through all the Christmas hymns as well. There's some beautiful theology there. And as I went through all of that over the last few weeks, one phrase just kept ringing in my head, and it is why we have chosen the theme for this year, and that phrase just simply is joy to the world. What we prayed about this morning after worship is very much how I feel about this Advent season. Joy to the world, it's not just this beautiful, wonderful Christmas hymn. It's a message I think we need to hear. It's a message I think we need to absorb as followers of Jesus Christ. So you've probably noticed, as some of us have noticed, the world right now is not giving us very many reasons for joy. In fact, most of what our world has for us right now are things like fear, uncertainty, anger, division, that's what's at work in our world right now. The structures of our world are trying very hard to deal with great big issues with the tools that it has, but the tools that our world has just cannot meet the issues that we face. These tools aren't good. These tools aren't very effective. I mean, come on folks, we're building concentration camps again. Our world doesn't know how to handle these kinds of issues. So we find ourselves, and maybe you have felt this way, I have felt this way, and sometimes it's hard to put words to this, but we find ourselves constantly fighting some kind of anxiety or worry or concern, we feel as if the world has just lost its moorings, just one more step. It's just out of click. It's just not completely right. We're often looking for firm footing. We're often looking for something normal. How many times have we said something like that over the last several months? We want things to go back to normal. For me, it's as if I have this kind of spiritual itch that is very hard to scratch. It's like that spot in the middle of your back that you just can't quite get, but it's there. This is how the world is working right now. I was reading through a book recently by the pastor John Mark Comer. The name of the book is Live Not by Lies. Early in the book, he says this, and I just resonated with this when I read it. He says this, we feel this constant conflict, not just out there in culture or in our digital news feeds, but inside the fabric of our own minds and bodies, the kind of inner tug-of-war that is emotionally exhausting and spiritually depleting, a tearing at the fabric of our soul's peace, Why do I feel so tired, worn down? Why does every day feel like a battle just to stay faithful, to keep following Jesus? Here's an idea, maybe because it is. But into this world right now, into this sense, comes this season of Advent. Comes this time of Christmas. We read through the story, and this time of year is full of angels showing up and saying things like, fear not. I believe that's the most repeated phrase in all of the Christmas stories, fear not. They sing things like peace on earth. Angels say things like, I bring you great, good tidings of great joy. So friends, what if we spent this Advent season discovering the joy of Jesus Christ? Not some sort of dopamine shot, not some sort of emotion that comes and goes, but actually finding the joy of Jesus Christ. What if we learn somehow spiritually how to blow aside the fog of this world and find rejoicing? And find rejoicing not necessarily in our circumstances, but find rejoicing in the birth of Jesus Christ. Find rejoicing in the character and nature of God Himself. Can I ask another question that maybe over the next few weeks will come clearer and clearer? What if joy is deeper than fear or anxiety? The joy of the Lord, again, not an emotion, not a roller coaster, but what if the joy of the Lord is deeper? than anxiety or fear? What if the Lord of joy ruled in our hearts and minds and lives? What does this mean? What does scripture have to say about this? So what is it in the coming of Jesus Christ that is supposed to bring us joy? So as we start going through this, this morning, we read this passage and over the next few weeks, we're gonna read a lot of scripture. To see what Scripture has to say about joy and why the coming of Jesus Christ brings us so much rejoicing. So as we do so, let's prepare room for the coming of Christ, coming of the Messiah into our lives. So let's start reading our story here in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. It goes like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, in the days of Herod the king, behold, a wise man came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled... All of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He's trying to guess how old this child is right now. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they... Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The wise men rejoice when they see this child, when they finally find Jesus Christ. They rejoice with exceeding joy. This is the one that they have follow. They see this star, and the star they have followed since the birth of Jesus Christ. And it now guides them to where Jesus is, and they rejoice. It's more than that, though. They've actually been looking for this star for generations. They've been looking for this astronomical event for a very long time. So it's been building up to this moment, and these are the people, these are the men who get to see it happen, who get to make the journey, who get to find the Messiah, who get to worship Him, who get to give Him gifts they've anticipated this moment for a very long time and somehow they know what it means and they respond appropriately now part of what's important about this passage of scripture is that Herod also has a sense of what this means this child who is born to be king of the Jews has finally been born he has come And Herod has a sense of what this means, but he has a very different reaction to this event than the wise men do. So I think it's important to note that the wise men, they rejoice because their long journey is now complete. They've been looking for this for a long time. They've been preparing for this for a long time. They have been ready for this for a long time. And when they finally find him, not just the journey, but the years that preceded it, find Jesus, and it is joy to them. It is reason for rejoicing. The text that we read, part of the Christmas story, it says that in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men come from the east to Jerusalem. The wise men themselves, they're this mysterious group of individuals, and they come from the east. That does not mean they came from the east side of powers to church. They didn't come from the eastern suburbs of Jerusalem into the city of Jerusalem. They came from the other side of the desert. We're speaking of individuals who come from what used to be the Babylonian and the Persian empires. So how is it? that these wise men and whatever entourage they bring with them have somehow been watching for this moment and they know it when it arrives. They're not inside of the religious structure in Jerusalem. They're not in the rabbinical schools of the nation of Judah. They're all the way on the other side of the desert, wise men from the east. A lot of scholars believe that these wise men come from what remains of the school of Daniel the prophet. This is Daniel from the Old Testament. Daniel's the character who was carried in exile into Babylon, and he went from being a slave to one of the rulers of the Babylonian Empire then one of the rulers of the Persian Empire. He was a man of power and learning and faithfulness. And so it's entirely possible that we've got this school of the Jewish mindset and the understanding of the coming of the Messiah started by Daniel. And these wise men are disciples of that school. Now, that means... That this school of individuals has been waiting for this for more than 500 years. They've been preparing for it. They've been watching for it. And these are the guys who get the chance to make the journey and actually find Jesus. It's no wonder there is joy for them. They come to Herod and they say, we saw his star in the east. I love how they talk with Herod and Herod tries to manipulate them and and God warns them a dream and they go back another way because Herod has no intention of worshiping Jesus Christ. But the wise men are aware of a few things. And I like this. They saw his star. It wasn't their star. It wasn't our star. It wasn't Herod's star. It wasn't a star. It was his star. All of this has been arranged so that at this moment, there's an astronomical event that says one thing, Jesus is born. What does it take for an astronomical event to line up like that? Well, it takes someone like a supreme being who spins the universe into existence and when the stars and the galaxies and the solar systems and the planets begin to turn in their orbits and in their circumference, all of this is arranged like clockwork so there comes a day when his star shows up. This is stunning. This is stunning. It's his star. They also know... That this child was born to be king of the Jews. Now, that is true. King of the Jewish people, the one who has been promised and prophesied inside of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what that means, both through the Old Testament and when we get to this point, is that it means that he is also the king of heaven and earth, he is the Lord of all of history. He is born not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings. So not just a small group of people, but for everything and for everyone. That's who has been born on this day. Those first three lines of the hymn, Joy to the World, joy to a couple of geographical locations because the Lord has come. Right? Let a handful of folks rejoice. And receive their King let a couple of people who have nothing better to do prepare room for Jesus that's not the theology that's not the doctrine that's not what happened joy to the world the Lord has come let earth receive her King all of creation receives the coming of God born in flesh Let every heart, this is a call to every human heart to prepare room for the coming of the king in here. Let every heart prepare him room. The wise men come to worship him. And that by itself is stunning. The way the rest of the story plays out, Jesus by this time is probably about two years old. So here come the wise men with their gifts, and they're worshiping a toddler. These men who've been studying all of their lives, probably have places of influence and importance in their culture. They come, and they bow, and they worship this two-year-old because, well, you know, this is not a two-year-old. This is Emmanuel. This is God in flesh. So they come to worship him, and watching the wise men respond to the birth of Jesus Christ is our window into their joy what is it that gave them joy but didn't give Herod joy so Herod like we read Herod like we mentioned it's a very different reaction to the coming of Jesus Christ the star frightened him it gave him anxiety it angered him the star didn't excite him about who had been born Herod believes that I am the king of the Jews and no child is going to be born that is going to challenge that. And it is this event, if you read through the rest of the chapter, that leads to what we historically call the slaughter of the innocent. In innocence. What Herod wants to do is go to Bethlehem and slaughter every child two years old and under. Nobody will challenge my title as king of the Jews. And of course, none of that works. Herod has absolutely no intention to worship Jesus. He has every intention to get rid of him, every intention to actually kill him. But friends, notice this about how this all works. The way this story is talked about, the star, this astronomical event is inevitable. It is untouchable. Is it possible at all that an individual like Herod, with whatever kind of power that he had, is it possible for him to actually stop the moving of the solar system so that the star never appears? Is it possible for him to actually keep this from showing up Is it possible for him to blow enough clouds through the sky so that nobody sees the star? You see, what God has done is not just an astronomical event. It's a meteorological event as well. God has blown the clouds aside so they can see the star and know where the child has been born. Can Herod change that? Can any human being change that? Who can do that? Only God can do that. Herod, nobody can change either the sign of the coming of Christ or what it means for Jesus to be born. Friends, Jesus is inevitable. Jesus is inevitable. His first coming is inevitable. And his second coming is just as inevitable. Through this Advent season, we do two things at once. We remember the birth of Jesus Christ. We put ourselves back inside of these stories, back inside of their hearts and and shoes and their lives, and we're anticipating and we're excited that finally the Messiah has been born to us. But then we put ourselves back in our own places. We see the darkness around us. We watch the light be born, and we anticipate the inevitable second coming coming. Of Jesus Christ Jesus is inevitable so Herod cannot change what it means for the Messiah to come but his decision in reaction to it is manipulation and his murder you know when you find him come back and tell me because I'm excited to <laughs> I want to go worship him that's not at all what he wants right but none of us can change the brute facts None of us can change the brute facts. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He came to us as God in flesh. He is the Savior of the world, and there is no other. So the only real question for you and me in a place like that is something like, so now what? Now what? Many people make the same kinds of decisions that Herod made. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to deny it. I'm gonna spend my life trying to tell other people it is false and fake. I'm gonna turn my back on it. Or they're gonna make the kinds of decisions that Herod's counselors make. This is something that goes by really quickly, but it's important. He calls the chief priests and the scribes to him. These are people who know the word of God. They understand that the Messiah is on his way and that's a big deal for them. The wise men have shown up. We've got this unique astronomical event. It's such a big deal. Herod calls them in and says, "Just." asking for a friend, but where's the Messiah going to be born? They know exactly where the Messiah is going to be born, and what's their reaction? Nothing. It's nothing to them. None of this gets put together for them. Many people make that decision with the birth of Jesus Christ. It just doesn't matter. Many of us believe that We are the kings and queens of our own lives. Nobody is going to challenge me. Nobody is going to take the throne of this life except me. Many of us make that decision as well. But every one of those reactions close the door to the joy that we can have if we see what the wise men saw. Every one of those reactions means we close the door to the joy of Christ. So the wise men know who Jesus is, and it means joy. Herod is afraid of who Jesus is, and it leads to slaughter. He's afraid of who Jesus is, and it leads to slaughter. So, friends, Jesus, the Savior of the world, has come, and he is coming back again. Do these facts, do these realities give you reason to worship and rejoice? Do these facts bother you? Do these facts even mean anything to you? There is joy in only one of those answers. There is joy in only one of those answers. So we read a little bit later on in the story in verses 10 and 11 of Matthew chapter 2. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These wise men knew who they had come to find, and when they found him, it was reason for great rejoicing. And their joy is part of their worship. They fall down to worship him. Their joy is part of their worship. And the two come from the same place, joy and worship, this understanding of who Jesus is. They've been waiting for the Messiah, and now they've found the Messiah, and this is the only right thing to do. So, the wise men are prepared for His coming. The wise men have been paying attention to this. The wise men are actually ready to saddle the donkeys, travel across the desert, following an astronomical event to find a toddler so they can worship Him. They're ready to do this. They've made room, they've made room in their hearts and minds for the coming of Jesus Christ. They have sought for him, and now they have found him. And when that happens, when we seek for him, when we make room for him inside of our lives, when that happens, Jesus makes his way into our lives. And we then have reason for worship and for great rejoicing. One of the reasons this passage of scripture strikes me this way is the contrast. The contrast between Herod and the wise men. The contrast between the scribes and the rulers of the people and the wise men. These different reactions to the actual birth of Jesus Christ and all of these events that are taking place around his birth. And I think it helps us answer what is actually a difficult question to answer. What is joy? What is joy? If Someone were just to ask you that question, or if you were to sit down and try to try to flesh out an answer to, "What is joy?" that's maybe a little bit harder than we would think. Our first reaction to a question like that is, "Well, I want it. <laughs> I may not know how to give you a nutshell version of it, but it sounds good. I want joy." Not very many of us are sure we even have it. And if we think we do, we wonder if it comes and goes because that's what it feels like. That's what life is like. Something like joy comes and goes. We may even, over a period of time, have a very hard time defining it. But over the next few weeks, this week and the next few We're going to spend a lot of time in in Scripture about joy and rejoicing and how this is always attached to who God is and what He does for us. We'll read what God does for His people, and then we will read the outcome. And the outcome is joy and rejoicing among the people of God. That's how we will watch it unfold throughout Scripture over and over. So here's how we're going to handle the issue of biblical joy through this Advent season. We're going to use this as a rough outline. Joy is the condition of my heart when I grasp the unchangeable goodness of God and I realize His love for me. Joy is the condition of my heart when I grasp the unchangeable goodness of God and I realize his love for me. This is the difference between the wise men and Herod. What did they see? What did they understand? How did they react to it? Let's talk about this for a minute. What do I mean by the condition of my heart? I use that term in the biblical sense of the term. When scripture speaks of our heart, scripture speaks of the core of our being, our character, where our lives come from. The book of Proverbs says, be very careful about your heart because this is where your life comes from. We live from our hearts what's going on inside of the very center of our character. So this is really important when we talk about biblical joy. We are not calling joy an emotion. We will sometimes feel joy. We will sometimes experience the emotion of joy. But sometimes we won't. (laughs) Sometimes we'll have other emotions, right? So we're not going to call joy an emotion, Emotions come and go, but biblical joy is stable, it is durable, it is lasting. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon that he wrote on joy, he says it like this, "'Do not therefore set too much story or too much weight by your own feelings as evidence of grace. "'The fruit of the Spirit is joy.' but you may not at this moment be conscious of joy. Trees are not always bearing fruit, and yet their fruit is in them when they lose their leaves. Trees have lost their leaves now, but when they come back in the spring, they produce leaves and they produce fruit because it is still inside of them. Grasping the unchangeable goodness of God and we speak of the goodness of God, we were speaking at the same time of the power of God. You see, the goodness of God is inseparable from his power. God is all-powerful, so thank goodness he is all-good. He can do all things that are possible, and all things that God does are good. The unchangeable goodness of God. A few years ago we went we did a sermon series on Psalm 119 verse 68. In all of the verses inside of that long and beautiful chapter, the one that just stuck with me is chapter is chapter 119 verse 68. It simply says speaking of God you are good and do good teach me your statutes. It's a very simple way of expressing one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. God is good, and all that he does is good. And his character has never changed. It is not changing, and it will never change. Nothing that ever happens will change the goodness of God. So because the character of God does not change and cannot change, joy can enter everyday life. If my joy is grounded in who God is and what God does. And like Spurgeon says, you may not be conscious of the feeling of joy, but that's okay. It can still be in you because God has not changed. His goodness toward you has not changed. His power has not changed. His love toward you has not changed. Realizing God's love for me. God loves you. God loves you. I had an opportunity The other night, to just pray that simple prayer over a woman who was broken, completely broken, to simply be able to tell her, not as some sort of emotional pablum, not as some sort of just little pill you throw out on the table, but as an unchanging, eternal truth God loves her. God loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his son to be born in a manger, to live a sinless life, to show us who he is, die on a cross, to pay a debt I owe, and to rise again from the dead to secure eternal life for anyone who believes in him. God loves you. I like the way the Apostle Paul puts in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17, 18, and 19. He says this, and this is part of his prayer for the Ephesian church so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's just coming up with words to try to say, I can't say this enough. The breadth, the height, the de- the depth, the length, the love of God that surpasses how much you will ever know that God loves you. The condition of my heart when I understand the goodness of God and I realize His love for me. You see, God is offering us, and we see it especially during this season, God offers this world something that is trying very hard to manufacture but it simply will never be able to really accomplish. The coming of Jesus into this world is announced with things like peace and joy and hope. (laughs) You see, the answer to our deep need for joy will never be found in human systems, but in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the call this morning, the call this morning is to come to Christ. I want us to ask ourselves some honest questions. Through this Advent season, this is just part of what we do. I hope we're reading through the Christmas story, and I hope we're paying attention to this, not just the season itself and and the decorations, but paying attention to the coming of Jesus Christ. So we're preparing our hearts. We're preparing room for Jesus Christ in our lives. To ask ourselves some honest questions. How much in my own heart and mind can actually be seen in Herod? Where am I bothered by Jesus? Where am I angered by him? Now, there are times in life when it's like that, and we feel that, and those struggles are real, but the solution to those struggles are never found in slaughtering babies. You're not going to fix it by denying him. You're not going to fix those struggles by ignoring Him. You're not going to fix those struggles by making it your life's goal to ruin other people's faith as well. You will only find solution when you come closer to Jesus Christ. Or maybe we ask the other question with the other reaction, how ambivalent am I to this whole thing? I just simply don't care, or I just don't see the importance, or we pull out words like, why is this even relevant to me? These are just bumper stickers we use to ignore reality, really. This may be the greatest delusion cast over our culture right now. Even when you don't think about the air that you breathe, the air that you breathe is still necessary for your life. Air's air is not relevant to me. <laughs> Whether or not you think about the importance of Jesus Christ, He is necessary to your life. How much of my joy is sporadic? My answer to that question is most of it, right? How much of it does come and go with my circumstances, with my emotions, with things going the way that I want them to go? Again the solution to that roller coaster feeling of is this joy is this not joy the solution is to make more room for Christ instead of less more room for him instead of less i need to know him better instead of constantly searching for joy substitutes and joy substitutes usually are these shallow things these hits of dopamine these simple little things that we do that we think make us feel better or will solve this emotional problem that really doesn't get to the issue. We need to be closer to Jesus Christ. And then am I ready, am I actually ready to take the steps necessary to make room for the Messiah? The wise men, they studied, they waited, they journeyed, they worshiped. Am I ready to do something similar? to wait on His presence, to spend time in His Word, to study who He is, to spend time in prayer and with the body of Jesus Christ, learning these things in discipleship, in growth, and to journey, to seek after Him, as Scripture says, with all of my heart, and He will be found by me. Am I ready to actually make room for the Messiah in my heart? I want to finish this morning by reading sections from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. I'd encourage you to take this entire chapter home this week, spend some time with it in light of the issue of joy and the coming of Jesus Christ and the goodness of God and everything that we are going to be dealing with. I'd encourage you to spend time with Isaiah 55, but here are a few chunks of this chapter. I just want us to hear what Scripture says. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see, God has taken care of all of that. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Verses six and seven say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And then the last two verses of that same chapter For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, there shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, there shall come up myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Come to the Lord. This is who he is. This is what he will do. And when he has done his work inside of you, you will go forth in joy and in peace. And the kingdom of God will be at work inside of you. Let's pray.